we'd like to do this morning or this afternoon is uh, focus on Mark 16, 1 through 8, the first witnesses at the tomb. Mark 16, 1 through 8. But we'll begin reading at verse 40. And you'll notice that the witnesses at the tomb in Mark 16 are the same witnesses. They were also there at the cross when Jesus died. They're at the tomb when he was buried. And they're also at the tomb when he's risen. It all goes to show that this is the same Jesus. It's not a different man who arose from the dead. It's the same Jesus. The same one who died on the cross is the same one who arose again from the dead. We have the witnesses. And you'll see that in verses 40 and 41. And in verse 47. But our focus will be 16 verses 1 through 8. Mark 15 verse 40. Let's hear God's word. There were also women looking in, or sorry, on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. When he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. And now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him, Jesus, that is. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. It was large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly, fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, before we get to 67... 367 <laughs> 
Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose, with the mighty triumph for his foes he arose. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus, my Savior, vainly they seal the dead. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose, in the mighty triumph for his foes he arose. He arose a victor from the dark domain. He is forever with his saints to bring. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. Wait or the bars away, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with the mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with the saints to bring. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. So in Mark chapter 16 brings that out. Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And we're going to see this morning, first of all, the witnesses of an empty tomb. And then we're going to hear about the angel's announcement. And then finally, the commission that was given to the witnesses. So, beloved in Christ, you know, we hear about all kinds of lockdowns. Lockdowns here, lockdowns there, lockdowns everywhere. But no one can lock down the grave. They tried it. Oh, the authorities posted guards there. And that was it. Christ conquered. There was no way they could lock down the grave. The grave is open. It's empty. And you know something else? They cannot lock down the message either. The message of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It simply cannot be shut down. They may shut down in the world. Church buildings, they may shut down, they may try to shut down public worship, but the message will continue to bring forth resurrections all around the world, resurrections to life of people who are dead in their sins. Satan tries 
so hard. He tries so hard to stamp the message out because he knows that this is a powerful message. He knows this is the truth. And every time he tries to stamp it out, what happens? It spreads. That's what we do with fire too, right? Sometimes with a fire, in order to get a fire out, you stamp on the fire, but the fire just spreads all the way around. Think of China today. Churches are being monitored like you wouldn't believe it and being shut down. The persecution is intensifying and yet the Christian faith is growing at an alarming rate. 92 million Christians in China today. That's a, now, mind you, it's a huge population, but it's about 7% of the population of China now are believers. The message of the resurrection of Christ cannot be locked down. It will triumph. It will go forth into all the world. You know, the witnesses of the crucified and risen Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, it carries on worldwide throughout all the centuries, almost 2,000 years later. And Christ, no doubt, has crushed the serpent's head. And so the witnesses of Christ's resurrection, where did that begin with? The witness began with three women at the tomb of Jesus. Three women. Didn't begin with men. Didn't begin with children. Three women. Mary Magdalene. Remember she had the seven devils inside of her? She was one of the first witnesses. And then there's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And then there was one other lady, Salome. Remember who Salome was? The mother of the sons of, the, of Zebedee. James and John, that was Sloan. So those three women. And it's written in here so that we too may believe the witness, but more than believing, we may be strengthened ourselves in our witness and our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and his life. So we're going to see those three things. They witness, first of all, the, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. And notice here that it's God who uses these three women as his very first witnesses of Christ's resurrection. And this is amazing. You know why? Because in those days, women were put down. They were often put down. Their testimony was not heard. And another thing, too, is their testimony was not allowed to be heard even in courts. They were just not heard. And you see how God honors he lifts up the, the, uh, the level of women to say that they're equal participants in the grace of God in salvation. He uses three women to bear witness to this amazing event. These women were already, by the way, present at the cross when Jesus died. They were witnesses. They saw Jesus die. He really died on the cross. They were also there at the tomb. See verse 47? They were also there at the tomb. They know exactly where the tomb was. So they saw Jesus being buried. And now we see them here at the tomb in John 6, or sorry, Mark 16. Did Jesus really die? He really died, didn't he? He didn't go into a coma. Some people say, oh yeah, but people who don't believe. Say, oh, he, he, he didn't really die. He went into a coma. 
and he needed to be resuscitated. Some say, well, he was just unconscious or he fell asleep. But you know, scripture testifies to us. We have the witnesses. His burial shows that he really and truly died as man, as human. This is so clear in verses 42 to 47. Notice that Pilate, the governor, he's the one who issues a certificate of Jesus' death. Usually when a person dies, a certificate needs to be issued. This person is dead. And that's what Pilate did. He issues a certificate of Jesus' death. And more than that, he secures the tomb to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, is very clear, took Jesus' body off the cross, wrapped him in linen cloths, and took his body and laid him in a tomb, an open cavern, you could say. And he put a stone in front of that tomb. He rolled a stone against it. And now it's Saturday evening. That's the Jewish Sabbath. Saturday was the Sabbath for the Jews. And the Sabbath usually ended at 6 p.m. So after 6 p.m., the bazaars would be open, the markets would be open. And you can be sure around this time, the women are buying their spices and so forth after the Sabbath is over. And it's the three women who leave early, early Sunday morning, it's Sunday morning, to anoint Jesus' body, not to embalm him. Okay, that was the Egyptian practice. They were simply wanting to anoint him as a way of showing respect and love for him. They had not really had the opportunity to do that with his body, and they wanted to anoint him to show their devotion to him. And so very early, 16 verse 1, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, which is the first day of the week? Sunday. They came to the tomb, and this is significant, when the sun had risen, when the sun had come up. I already begin to see that the light has broken through the darkness. You know, those three hours of darkness back in chapter 15. This marks a new day. This marks a new creation. God created the heavens and the earth and talks about the light. And now there's a new creation. There's a light coming forth. And a light has dawned in Christ's resurrection. But you know, the women, they don't see it. They don't realize it. Their minds were still in the darkness. They're going to the tomb to do what? To anoint a dead Jesus. They think he's dead. And if the women had been paying attention to Jesus' words, remember three times before Jesus had said, very clearly, he says, on the third day, I will rise again. The disciples heard it. Certainly this woman would have heard it that he would rise again on the third day. The enemies no doubt heard it. (laughs) They paid attention to it. They were made sure they were at the tomb and they were going to keep it locked down. Of course, they failed. So the women on their way there, they're talking among themselves. who's Who's going to roll that stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Of course, they probably didn't know that the guard was posted there, but they were there before then, right? When when uh, Joseph Arimathea had him buried and put the stone in front. Who's going to roll that stone away from the tomb for us? They're worried. It's not possible for them. 
It's not possible for them, for them to move the stone of this size, of this weight. I mean, the text says it was a large stone. I mean, it's, it's, it's only stone. There's no air in there. It was heavy. It was rolled in, you could say, into a groove. There was a groove in front of the opening of the, of the grave. And that's where it was placed, right in front of the hole of the cavern of the tomb. By the way, where are the men? Are there no men to help them? No men? Where are the 11? Where are the 11 apostles? Uh, They haven't been seen for the last couple of days, except for John. You know where the men are? They're hiding. They're scared. They're, They're hiding in the upper room, John 19, and they're scared. And and who is God using here? Women. He's using the witnesses through women. Three women. Who is going to solve the problem of rolling the stone away? There's nobody to help them. God does. Doesn't he always solve our problems? By the way, God always has plans. He never has problems. We should always remember that. God never has a problem. He always has plans, and it's just for us to trust him. And here, too, their problem was solved in a way that they never would have realized, in a way that they would never have thought about. When they arrive, what do they see? The stone is already rolled away. Wow. Wow. And that brings us to the second point, verses 4, 5, and 6. The stone is rolled away, and you hear, I mean, the tomb becomes a pulpit. The tomb becomes the church now. It becomes a service. The very first Easter service was held at the tomb. You see that, verses 4, 5, and 6. They're turning the bend in the road, and as they turn the bend of the road, (laughs) they see something. They look up, and they see that, yeah, indeed, the stone has been rolled away. For it was... Very large, it says, a stone. How the stone was rolled away, Mark does not say. But if you go to Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 28, there it tells us that God sent a great big earthquake as the angels were descending from heaven. And he came and he rolled back the stone from the door. But in Mark's gospel, he wants us to see that it's God. It's God alone who rolled the stone away. He wants us to see that the resurrection is none of our work. Right? Even our own resurrection to life is none of our work. It's all God's work. It's all the work of God. Romans 10, 9. God has raised him from the dead. Very clearly spelled out there. The role of the women, our role today, is simply to bear witness to this great event. So simply to say what has happened. God removed the stone. Why did God remove the stone? Did he have to? He didn't have to. But he removed the stone so that the three women could enter into the tomb and just see it for themselves. Was it empty? It was empty. Was there somebody in there? Not Jesus. Angel. 
And the angel means messenger. So there you see the first preacher of the resurrection. An amazing place to have a church, eh? In an empty tomb. As you see the first preacher. Because the angel simply means that, messenger. There he is preaching away. Preaching. Well, we read here that entering the tomb, look at verse uh, verse 5, they saw a young man clothed in a white long robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Alarmed, why? First of all, because the stones rolled away, and second of all, they see that angel, not Jesus. They see an angel. And how do we know it was an angel? Because it's a long white robe. Sometimes angels are called men because they often appear in the form of a man. Okay, and that's why it says a young man. He's a messenger of God. And where is he sitting? By the way, he's sitting. And where is he sitting? On the right side. What does that sitting suggest? Death has been conquered. The work has been done. He sits. And where is he sitting? At the right side of the tomb. What's that suggesting? It suggests glory and power. It's really symbolic of the risen Christ. Where does he sit today? At the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So you see the sun has risen. There's a new creation. And there's a, there's a, a pointing to the fact that Christ has risen. And he is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do the women understand all what they see here? Do they understand it? No. By the way, who needs to open our eyes in order to believe, in order to see? It's only the Spirit of God. It's only Christ himself who can do that. The women at this point, all they're seeing is death. You think of the culture around us today. It's it's preoccupied with death. Everything is about death, it seems. For so many people today, that's all there is. All there is is this life, and then, well, what's after this life? Death. Death. Everything is, how do we keep ourselves from death? That's all what it's about, because that's all there is to life for many, is just this life. And so life is seen as a downward spiral, and it comes to the point where you become weak and old, and you die, and there's nothing more. No real hope. But here God Here God comes to the three women. There's a personal encounter with the living God. And it's by believing in Christ. It's by only by believing in Christ can we see and understand the meaning of the empty tomb. No one is going, anyone who hears about the empty tomb, they'll have their own theories about it. Oh, Jesus' body was probably stolen. That's that's what you hear in Matthew 28. Let's tell the story that his body was stolen. Or, yeah, yeah, he's buried in Kashmir. Don't you know that's where the grave is today? It goes to show that such minds are still in the darkness. It's only when we believe in Christ that we see the truth for what it really is. But at this point, the women were still not seeing. But what we need to see here, and what the women eventually see here, is the resurrection of Jesus. What's it do? It marks the end of death. And the beginning of life. It marks a transition. The resurrection is a transition from death to life. Life eternal. 
And now the angel preaches his sermon from his pulpit inside an empty grave, inside an empty tomb. And he's preaching away. And the first thing he says to the women is, don't be scared. Don't be alarmed. He says, you're looking for Jesus? Why are you looking for a dead Jesus? Why are you preoccupied with that? This Jesus who was crucified, this same one who was crucified, he is risen. He's the same one. He's not here. You are not going to find him here. You take a look. You see it. See where they laid him. No, they're not to keep on looking for the Jesus of Nazareth who they think is dead. The one who was crucified is risen. He's not here. And you see what the angel does. He directs them away from death. Don't stare at death. Don't stare at the grave. But you look to Jesus. The, one, the same one who died by a crucifixion. The one that they witnessed dying on the cross. The one that they witnessed being buried and now risen from the dead. You know that same Jesus, right? His body. It's, it's his body, the body that died. It's that same body that arose from the dead. Mind you, it's, it's a glorified body. Jesus was no longer subject to humiliation, to weakness and, uh, and mortality in his body. But now, immortality, you see him being exalted. And that's what the whole right hand imagery shows here with the angel in the tomb. You know, the implications of the resurrection of Jesus are life-changing for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's life-changing. And I would say Romans 6, 4 and 5, really are a great commentary on this verse here, on this angel's sermon. Apostle Paul explains a little further. And that, that message has great implications the life-changing message of Christ's resurrection has great implications for our lives, for our past, for our present, and for our future, which is one of hope. Regarding your past, see yourself as believers that in him your old self has been crucified, is dead, is buried. That's your position in Christ. In reality, of course, we still struggle with that old nature in us. But in principle, in Christ, you've been put to death. Your old self has been put to death. It's been buried. Romans 6 verse 4 begins by saying, We were buried with him through baptism into death. And in him you have received the forgiveness of sins. This is the truth. That's the past. So often people look at their past and all their sins. You believe in Jesus? Leave it. It's past. It's crucified. It's dead. It's buried. Forgiven. Forgiven. Now regarding your present, you receive the power to live the new life in Christ with that peace, that joy that he gives by his Holy Spirit, that same spirit who raised him from the dead. Romans 8, 11. But also if you read Romans 6, it continues by saying, 
That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. The resurrection of Christ has great implications. Believing on him, implications for the past, forgiven. Present, giving us the ability to, to live that new life in obedience to him. And finally, regarding the future, the promise of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. You know, your body, which dies, your body, which will die, we all will die, right? But Jesus promises all who live, all who believe in him, your body will be raised from the dead. Believe that? Yeah. It really will rise from the dead and you will enter into life everlasting. Romans 6, 5 says that if we will be united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, this is without a doubt, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I love that song. Hey? He will raise me from the dust. Jesus is my hope and trust, right? He is my hope and trust. Do you have that hope? You know, don't look at your past. It's forgiven. What you have in the present is his spirit, is the new life. Life has begun. Life began at the resurrection when he arose again from the dead. And death is behind. Oh yeah, we go through a tunnel. But that life has already begun, that life everlasting. We have to go through the valley of shadow of death. That's what gives us hope. The hope of the resurrection. It's the sure hope for the past, present, and future. Romans 6, 4, and 5 is a beautiful commentary on what the, what the angel preached that day in the empty tomb. You know, there's this Russian word. I know there's no Russians here. But there's this Russian word for Sunday. You know what the Russian word is for Sunday? Voskresenia. Voskresenia. And Voskresenia literally means Christ is risen. So you can imagine during the years of communism with all those atheists, right? Those who are not believing in God. Every time they said, today is Voskresenia. Today Christ is risen. It's, it's amazing. Just Sundays bear witness. Sundays are a time to bear witness to the risen Christ because that's the day that he arose. And that's the actual word that was used, that's used in Russian today. Voskresenia, Christ is risen. Imagine saying to one another every Sunday, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Today, Christ is risen. Um, beautiful witness. The three women here are the first witnesses of Christ's resurrection, but also the first messengers of his resurrection. They're witnesses, but once you're a witness, what do you need to do? <laughs> Be a messenger. And that's what we see in verses 7 and 8. The angel said to the woman, verse, verse 7, now the angel says, now you go. You heard my sermon. Don't sit on it. Now you go and you tell others. Well, in this case, tell his disciples. Where's disciples? They're scared. They're hiding. They're in the upper room. And God said that God honors the women. So you go tell them. Tell them what? Well, you tell them about the happy news. And we do the same thing, right? When we have happy news, a baby is born, we have a new job, 
or there's a marriage of a son or a daughter, what's the first thing we do? We go to the phone and we share the happy news. And that's what the angel says. You heard the sermon, now go and tell. Tell the disciples. No greater message to share. No greater message. But here they're to go to his disciples. And Peter, why does it mention Peter separately here? Go to the disciples and Peter. Peter was the one who denied him, right? Three times. Three times. And it really goes to show the kindness and gentleness and the forgiving forgiveness of our Savior. Yeah, bring Peter back too. You tell Peter too. You tell them. You tell my disciples that he's going before you, that Jesus is going before them into Galilee, and there they will see him, just as he said. Okay, we see two things here, and then we'll close. First, the angel, God's messenger, he honors these women by giving them a task. A task. These are the women who stood by Jesus' side for three years, ministering to him, serving him. You see that in John, sorry, Mark 15, verses 14 and 41. They were there at his crucifixion, there at his burial, there at his empty tomb. And though all the apostles are men, God intended it that way. God intends that the apostles be men. There are no women among the apostles. But God uses these fine women to bring these men back to their responsibility. What's their responsibility? To be leaders of the flock that Jesus bought with his blood. But you see, hey, how God ably uses the women to serve in his kingdom. In this case, to show the men their responsibility. In this case, the apostles. And the apostles are going to be having, are going to have to be bold and start preaching repentance and faith, the forgiveness of sins in the name of the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they're going to have to build, they're going to have to lead an army of witnesses, of witnesses throughout the world. So that's the first thing. He honors the woman by giving him a task go tell the disciples. And second of all, you see the love and kindness of our Savior. You know, at this point, there's no word of rebuke. His disciples ran away from him. They deserted him. They failed him. They denied him. Even on oath, Peter did. He sweared that he didn't know him. And yet, what what stands out is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he fully embraces them. You tell them that I'm going before them. Tell them that even though they're scattered, I'm going to gather them, and I'm going to meet with them once again. What a beautiful illustration about how we should be living with one another, right? With a whole way of forgiveness. Living our lives, being ready and willing to forgive one another, even as Christ forgave us. They were scattered, but he, the shepherd, will go before them into Galilee and gather them. And, you know, there, too, Jesus had told his disciples, 14, verse 28, that he was going to meet them in Galilee. Before he died, about a week before, he said to his disciples, after I've been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. And now this is exactly fulfilled here. The angel sends them to Galilee through the witnesses, through the three women. You know, brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is the only 
forward-looking faith in the world. No other religion is a forward-looking religion. Every religion is stuck. Every other religion is stuck in the captivity of their sins. But the Christian faith, death is past. It's been left behind. It's a march forward. There's a vision. There's a hope. And there's a future. Let's continue walking together. Let's continue to bear witness. How do these women respond initially to their commission? <laughs> They're scared too. Look at verse 9. They went out quickly, fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You don't see faith here, do you? You see fear. You see flight. You know, that's not the kind of response we want to hear on Easter. <laughs> fear and flight. But you know, at the same time, this response connects to many people who are afraid to believe this today. Because to believe in Jesus means what? It means to commit your life entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're no longer banking on yourself in any way. Your entire life is now surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this means, committed to, being committed to him means following him as Lord and King. And following means we're willing to obey him in all that he says. Who's able to overcome unbelief? Jesus. Jesus. Right? He arose again from the dead. If he's able to overcome death, he can overcome unbelief too. And you see that here. You see the power of the risen Savior. Because from the other Gospels, you come to know that these women do come to believe. They do come to see. From Matthew 28, we know that as they went to tell the disciples, who meets them on the way? The Lord Jesus Christ. He meets them. They have a personal encounter with him. And they come to realize, yeah, he has risen from the dead. That's what they needed. They needed a personal counter. And they believed. And he tells them, don't be afraid. You go and tell them. And they do. Look at the next verse of Mark chapter 16, verse, verse 9. We read, we read there that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene. She believes. She tells. So yeah, ultimately... Today, too, we need a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the risen Lord Jesus Christ does encounter us personally. How today? Through the witness of his word and by his Holy Spirit. That's how he encounters us. Don't run from him. Don't be afraid. As we submit to the Lord in faith, we'll see and we continue to see that there's great freedom, great joy, great peace. But by rejecting his lordship, the result is only slavery, fear, and great turmoil. That's not life. What you see in the world around us, do you see that? Do you see life around us? Maybe lots of money, but there's fear, turmoil, and slavery. That's not life at all. Only Christ gives it. He's poured out his spirit on the church today. 
And he even gives us the courage to bear witness to him. Christ has risen from the dead. And may the certainty of his resurrection crush your fear of death as you worship him. Vaccinations will not take away the fear of death. Lockdowns will not take away the fear of death. Doctors will not take away the fear of death. There's only one who can take away the fear of death. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen just as he said. Amen. By the way, Revelation 1.18 also says this. I am he who lives. These are the words of Jesus. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive. For 20 years, I'm alive forevermore. Forevermore. Amen.